0: Hey guys, welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. We're coming to you from the heart of Los Angeles, California, and it is our joy and our privilege to know there's a tribe across the world that has joined us on this mission of Jesus. I'm amazed how many people have told me that it's this podcast that has really given them life, has renewed their faith, and for many of them have rediscovered Christ. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged and helped and strengthened and maybe even rediscovered your faith because of what's happening here at Mosaic, I want to ask you to take a step and become an investor in what God is doing through Mosaic. I love the fact that our community here in Los Angeles has been committed to you. Now I'm going to ask you to be committed to them because together we can do more than we could ever do alone. So I want you to go to the mosaic.org give section of the website and I want you to make a commitment to be a part of taking this message across the world. When we receive, we should be grateful. But when we give, we are now expressing that gratitude in tangible, practical ways. Let's together get the message of Jesus to every corner of this planet. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for joining the tribe. What a week. Huge week. I didn't even realize that my calendar was set up so that I was catching a red eye on Monday night to Ecuador. So I missed election night here in the States. And, and so I, <laughs> I found CNN in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and started watching the election. And I realized it was all over the television there, that people in Ecuador were watching our election. Uh, if you stop and think about that, that's extraordinary. There are people in Australia that have commented more on our election than their own. There are people in Europe that are more aware of what's happening here. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have no idea who ran for Ecuador's president. I don't even know when they have elections. I'm not sure what happened in Fiji. There's so many places in the world, I'm not really sure what the political process is, but what happens here has an effect on the entire world. And as I was watching very carefully, I noticed that even CNN seemed confused. It was almost as if everyone was going through some kind of dimensional time warp. (laughs) And I could tell that they were astonished at what was happening right in front of them. And by the time it came to the conclusions of our election, which I stayed up till three in the morning in Ecuador waiting to see what was going to happen. And then it happened. I'm not going to speak about it. It happened. And, and then I saw all over on social media so much anxiety, so much despair, so much distress. I felt as if a nation was going through a crisis. And I thought, I need to respond to this in some way, but I always try to be careful. One thing I have learned from Donald Trump is to be careful when I tweet. And, and so I crafted together a very... Very small, short, pithy response, saying something like, "If you feel anxious or despairing, remember no one can stop us from doing good in the world." And and I just wrote these four words: "I vote for us." I, I'm an eternal eternal optimist. I, I have a, an endless sense of hope in my life. And what stunned me is the response I got. In fact, within. Minutes, there were 40,000 impressions on that one little statement. And I thought, it's not that great of a statement. People are feeling so much distress; they're just grabbing onto anything in that moment. And and the reason I, I didn't feel hopeless, and the reason I don't feel despondent, is because I've never put my confidence in Washington. I've never believed that the epicenter of the future of humanity was in D.C. And I, I, I always thought about it differently. Well, not always. That's not exactly accurate. I used to want to be president of the United States. Okay, I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out there. And and it was, it was so discouraging to me when I discovered I was not qualified because I wasn't born in this country. I'm from El Salvador. And so I'm an immigrant, ethnic minority, first generation. And so when I came here and my mom tried to get me to become an American citizen and I went through the process and I took Civics, I discovered that I was not qualified to become the president of the United States And that's why I did not become an American citizen Because I didn't want to become a part of a nation I could not lead <laughs> And so I So I held on to my Salvadorian citizenship thinking one day it'll be better to go Lead a small country than to be a citizen of a big one And, and it was only about 10 years ago after 9-11 that I actually finally became an American citizen and it, it, it took really a shift in my view of the world that came in relationship to Jesus Christ. That, that made me realize that, that the epicenter for humanity's best future is never seated at the center of the political power. Which gives me a lot in common with Jesus. He was not qualified to become the ruler of the empire in which he lived. See, Israel lived as slaves under the Roman Empire. And Jesus was born a Jew. He was not born a Roman. So even if he was the most qualified person to lead the Roman Empire, he would never be considered as an option. Which is kind of ironic because the Roman Empire had as its leader a Caesar who identified himself as divine. Caesar was understood to be a god. Now we all know that every Caesar was not a god except maybe the Caesar but the one person on the planet who was actually qualified to be a king who wasn't God was Jesus. And he wasn't qualified in their minds to rule. In fact, that, what's even confusing about that is that when Jesus walked this earth, he almost never talked about Rome. In fact, he never mentioned them. He acted as if they were incidental, that they, as if they did not exist, which must have really bothered all the people who were looking to him to set them free from the Roman Empire. You'd think that, that the focus of Jesus' life would be how to find your freedom from the oppression of this empire that's ruled by madmen who think they're gods. And you think we have issues. But Jesus doesn't talk about that. In fact, only once was he really pressed into it. And, and Jesus looked at a coin and said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. That was about it. It was so dismissive. It, it's one thing to. To be concerned about some oppressive force known as the Roman Empire. It's another thing to to treat it as if it's irrelevant to the future of humanity. (laughs) Jesus acted like one day the Roman Empire would not exist. (laughs) Isn't that funny? (laughs) Except, of course, they do not exist. See, the Roman Empire finally came into its ruin, but Jesus is doing really well. And so when I looked at this week and I realized that we have placed our Foundation Sunday at the end of a week where we voted as a nation for our next leader. And we find our nation in chaos and crisis and people protesting. Which I think there's some irony to it. That all the protests are happening in cities where people actually voted for Hillary causing traffic jams and inconvenience for everyone who agrees with them. But that's the way things go. I remember just even pausing, saying, God, why, why, why did we plan Foundation Sunday after the election? I don't know why I'm asking him. I think he's probably going, why, why, why did you do that? And then I realized it's exactly the right moment because the reason so many people are in distrust, the reason so many people are fearful, the reason so many people are filled with anxiety is that the foundation for their future is the power of government. And when you place your foundation in the hands of men and women, you've built a foundation that will not build a better future. And that's why we're here. It's because we're talking about the foundation for a future that that God wants to usher in. Which is, in so many ways, perplexing. Because it it would seem as if God would, would take advantage of all these systems we already have in place. Rather than creating this more organic organism that he calls the church. In Matthew 16... Jesus is taking a survey. It's like a Gallup poll. Well, we know how polls work. And, and Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? And they would say things like, you've, you've got some great ratings, Jesus. They're comparing you to the best. They're, they're, they're saying you're, you're, you're the prophet or Elijah. The, the, the category where Jesus was in was like, you're John, Paul, George, or Ringo. And you're, you're one of the top jesus and and then jesus says who do you say that i am and in that moment peter steps up which of course he does peter always steps up peter always does whatever he thinks should be done even if it's not what needs to be done and says what he thinks should be said even if it's not what should be said and most of the time peter gets it wrong but this time he gets it right but i guess if you try enough times eventually you get one right and 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 peter says you're the christ You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And I I think at that moment, all the other disciples thought, man, he is about to get slapped down. That's blasphemy, calling Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. How could he dare say something like that? Peter has gone way too far on this one. And then Jesus replied in verse 17, blessed are you. And they're like, what? Yeah. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I love this. The one time Peter gets the answer right, Jesus says, That's so on target. It's so right. I know you cheated. (laughs) You did not get that answer by yourself, Peter. You did not think of that on your own. That was My Father cheated by giving you the answer. Man, I needed that. When I was younger, somebody whispering the right answer to my ear. He said, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And this is a play on words. The word Peter means rock. And on this rock, which uses the word means a bigger rock. I will build my church. Because you're like a small rock on this bigger rock. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven... Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so the moment that Jesus hears this this declaration of who he is, and Jesus knows exactly who he is, and that moment when Peter says, you're the Christ, he knows that his father has revealed this to Peter, and something transcendent, something eternal is happening in this moment. It's as if heaven was being opened up and released on earth. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. Here's a moment where Jesus could have just made it all about himself. He could have said, and on this rock, I'm going to build me. This is it. You got it right. Let's just focus on me. You finally see me for who I am. Now, just take a moment and pause and worship me. But the moment they saw Jesus for who he was, he wanted them to see themselves for who they were going to become. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. It's just like Jesus. The moment they see him for who he is, he begins to help them see themselves differently. Wow. And on this rock, I will build my church. When, when I came to faith, I was so drawn to Jesus. In, in fact, I had almost like a, a fixation on Jesus. Even his name, I, I, would, just, I would just, sometimes I just go, Jesus. That's such an awesome name. I just want to hear it off my lips. Jesus. Jesus. There is something about that name. It's just it's like Jesus. But I never felt that way about church. In fact, I, I, I didn't know that, that with Jesus came church. It, it was almost as if I fell in love, and then he said, oh, and I got this funny uncle. And I'm, oh, you know? but does he have to come to the wedding? Was goes, oh, yeah, he's, not, he's moving in. And on top of that, if it wasn't bad enough, I was the funny uncle. You're you're the church. And and, and I want you to identify yourself with my people. That was so much harder. And I realized that over the last 20 years here in L.A., I've been on, on a peculiar journey. A huge part of our focus has been to reclaim the reputation of Jesus for those for whom it has been tarnished. And we wanted people to hear the name of Jesus in such a way that it would compel them and draw them in and they would see his beauty and wonder. It was harder for me to to make that leap as much for the church. I was really embarrassed by the church. It was awkward to be associated with the church, even though I was a pastor and that made it even worse. Man, so I couldn't even say the word church. It's hard for me. I could say Jesus, church. It was not the same. And yet I found myself now over decades and so many of the people who were a part of this journey with me, those who are considered pioneers and creatives and theologians and philosophers who, who were a part of the church, so many of them have literally walked away from the church and said, the church is irrelevant. The church is supplemental. The church is not necessary. And, and it almost sounds like hyper-spiritual. You know, I have Jesus, but I've grown past the church. And it's challenging for them because they see me as someone who's a little more out there than them. And so they're a little surprised that I'm still a part of this. They go, you still do that? In fact, I've had people tell me, you know, haven't you outgrown that? Isn't it time for you to move on? Because it would be so much easier to not be associated with the church because whenever the church messes up, all of us get tainted by it, don't we? Jesus never messes up. We just hate him. We like that relationship better. Because when we mess up we go, yeah, but it's still Jesus. But when the church messes up and go, yeah, it's them. But what I've discovered is that you cannot fall in love with Jesus and not fall in love with the church. You cannot identify yourself and associate yourself and connect yourself to Jesus and not find yourself in this community, this beautiful, miraculous experience of human community that Jesus came to establish He says, on this rock, I will build my church right away. It's not an idea he had later. It wasn't plan B. See, you and me, we, the church, are not God's plan B. We're actually God's plan A, and he's still on plan A. He says, this is what I've come to do. I've come to build my church. And then he gives us some some beautiful possibilities that are coming. He says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I know I don't talk a lot about hell. I get those questions sometimes. Why did you talk more about hell? A, I'm not fond of hell. (laughs) B, I'm not going there. Just not going to do it. And, And... I don't check hell on TripAdvisor. It's not a place I'm planning on visiting. And I'm doing everything I can to get everyone to choose a different future. But I do like the fact that it says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Saying there's going to be a conflict. And as, as I build my church, there's going to be a conflict between my church and this dynamic known as Hades. But he says, and the gates of Hades will not prevail, will not overcome it. And I thought, I love the metaphor because the metaphor doesn't say the chariots of Hades or the torpedoes of Hades. It just says the gates and gates are not offensive weapons. Gates are defensive weapons. I've never known anyone who's afraid of gates. I mean, maybe you have a phobia. When I was a child, they left me alone that there was this gate. And I don't know, every time I see a gate, I just, I just, I just start sweating. Maybe that's you, and I'm sorry if that's you, but you're rare. <laughs> because most of the time, we're not terrified by gates. We may be terrified of what's on the other side of the gate. But when we're terrified by what's on the other side of the gate, we're actually grateful that the gate is there. And when he says, and I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What he's actually telling us is not that the gates are moving in our direction. We're coming after you. (laughs) It's that the church is moving in the direction of darkness to set everyone free in the light. So we're the ones crushing the gates. And then, then he says something awesome that we never really experienced that much. Doesn't it frustrate you when you see this like amazing promise in the Bible? It's inspiring, but you don't really experience it. We're not allowed to say that, right? Listen to this, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I love that. I don't even know fully what that means, but I think it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I've had some nice cars in my life, and I love it when they hand me the keys my keys to my car and I can tell you sometimes one of the things I do whenever I've gotten a new car is I I find someone just throw my keys and say take the car and and years ago I did that with a stranger we were in downtown I met this guy he saw my car he goes I love that car handed him my keys said take it for a drive he took off (laughs) somebody asked me do you know him I said never met him before my whole life I hope he comes back. that it's insured. It's okay. And a part of the reason I did that was to remind myself that what those keys had ownership over, but well, they were not mine. I just want to keep my relationship with the things that I own so that they don't own me. But I want the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever they are, whatever they do, whatever they open up, whatever they turn on, I want them. And he goes, and this is what happens. If you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I don't know what that means, but I want to bind something in heaven. Well, I want to get up there and they go, you bound that. There's something that's bound up. That because you, remember that Tuesday when you bound it on earth, it's still bound. <laughs> and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I don't know what that means, but maybe there'll be people in heaven that are free because I somehow invested in their life on earth, and so I loosed them on earth, and so they are free to dance and sing in heaven. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there are addictions that are here. And fears that are here. Maybe you're, you're chained because of choices you've made in the past and I have the keys. But I don't have the keys. And that's frustrating because I want to experience this to the fullness. But here's why we don't always experience the fullness of the promises in the scriptures. Because we have been taught to read the scriptures from a very Western, individualistic, narcissistic perspective. And we think the promises are to me. But the promises are not to me. They're to we. Um, And so many of the promises that you long for God to fulfill in your life, they're not given to you. They're given to us. And when we step into the us, we begin to experience the fullness of what God longs to do in our lives. And Jesus is doing it through the church, which means us. He leveraged things. I mean, if I ever should be frustrated with God, it should be now. He promises me this extraordinary experience with him, and then he tells me, but I can't have it unless I spend my life with you. I mean, you're awesome. But if I could get it by myself, I'd probably ditch all of you and just run on my own. And I think you would too. Because we're sort of like that sometimes. But the life that God created us to live cannot be lived alone can only be lived together. So Paul writes these words in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, his intent, speaking of God, his intent. I love that, that God has intention. God is sort of wandering through human history going, I don't know what to do. Like, Oh, I never saw that in the election. Man, the polls confused me. I don't know what to do about that. Now i got to redirect. And I want you to know his intent. God has an intention in human history. And he has an intention for your life. His intent was that now... Here it is. I'm going to make you say these three words with me. It'll be good for you. His intent was that now... Here it is. Say it with me. Through the church. Through us. Through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord... In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. See, this is God's end game. He wants us to live our lives in freedom and confidence. He wants us to be able to live a life where we come to Him with so much confidence that we know how to live free. Because if you're free but you do not have confidence, you will still live like a slave. And if you have confidence but you're not free, you're just overestimating yourself. He wants us to have a confidence in our freedom to come to God and to receive from him everything he has through the church. It's a beautiful thing. But I think it's important that what he's trying to do is he's trying to reveal his manifold wisdom through us. In other words, people are so confused about God and confused about what God's doing in the world, what God's doing in human history, that the way he explains himself to the world is through the church. He's explaining himself, it says, in heavenly realms. It's almost as if there are like these, these angels up there going, you sure that's a good idea? I don't know, God. I'm not sure about these humans. And, 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 and like, you know, there's these like demons up there going, it's not going to work out. They're not listening. And God says, let me just show you my manifold wisdom. I'm going to show you what I'm doing through the church. I'm going to bring people together in a way that you never thought they would come together. I'm going to create a new humanity. I'm going to remind all of humanity what it looks like to be human again. See, God is a story of us. And we are the story of God. You don't have a story except because of God. Because he created you to be fully alive. And when we come together, we begin to express the manifold wisdom of God to the world. And boy, does the world need the wisdom of God. And so do we. On Wednesday, I was in Ecuador. I flew down, and, and I was going to this conference. I was invited, really, at the last minute. It was this um, secular conference, much like Ted, but the Latin American version. And the two founders, one was an atheist, and one was an agnostic. And the material that's covered is the material that focuses on CEOs and entrepreneurs and venture capitalists and and, you know, business leaders, and it really was the the intellectual elite of South America. And they were very nervous about having me speak. this, This TV producer heard me speak, and he was friends with the founders of this event, and he convinced them to have me come speak, and he showed them just one of the small TED Talks I did so that they would not be terrified. And they liked it, then they showed them another talk, and they liked that one, okay. And, and I think they liked it well. And so they invited me to come and be a speaker there, but they were nervous, I, I could tell. Because when I landed, the first thing they said to me is, everyone's so excited about you being here, which lets you know that they're nervous. <laughs> and, and they said, everyone is so excited. The, the founders are so excited, and they named them. He is so excited, she is so, uh, there's so much excitement, I was overwhelmed. Like, they are so excited about you coming here and talking about creativity, and what it means to be human and the artist and soul. They're just a little nervous about what you might say about God. I said, oh, really? And they go, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're so excited. They're so excited that you're here. And they're excited about you're gonna, what you're going to talk about with creativity and innovation and, and all that sort of thing. They're just a little nervous about what you might say about God. And, and they, they saw an Instagram where I was at the Vatican and it terrified them. And they actually called him up and said, we're so excited about him coming and speaking, but, but is he going to talk about God? Which I thought was so curious because, I mean, these are some of the most open-minded, intelligent, intuitive people. And the opening speaker was from England. I didn't even have to speak in Spanish. They said, you can speak in English. We have spontaneous translation. So the moment I spoke, the translator was translating. I thought this is extraordinary. Just clicked your little button. You could hear the language you needed. And the opening speaker was from England. And she spoke about how she had developed a platform where you could create an economic resource for your life by taking the sex life of your wife or your husband, filming it, putting it on her site, allowing people to voyeuristically watch you, and then monetize it. And that's what she talked about for an hour before I spoke. (laughs) So she spent an hour talking about how to make money on turning your intimate relationship with your spouse into porn. But they were nervous, what I might say, about God. And, and, and as I was talking and, and talking to them, because I was saying, well, what did the speaker, because I, I missed that speaker, I, I, I missed that lecture, and they go, well, she was, she was explaining, and, and, and I just laid it out for you, and I said, oh, okay, <laughs> and everybody was good with that, huh, everybody's feeling comfortable with that conversation, and I said, well, you know, she's really looking at it from an economic development perspective, <laughs> I go, oh, and you, you felt comfortable, and so I looked at them, I said, so you felt comfortable with that, and they're like, no. I said, because you see, making money isn't hard. I said, making money isn't hard, making a difference is. See, it's easy to make money if you have no value for what it means to be human. There are so many opportunities to make money. And in fact, they said, all she's done is taken a model that already exists out there. She's looked at material that already exists in our everyday life and figured out how to make it economically beneficial for you. Like, let's say, It's like Airbnb. You already had the room. You didn't have to make a room. You had a room. And you used to use a room for people that you let stay there for free. Remember those days? They were called guests. But now you realize guests don't pay their way. So you turn it into an Airbnb. And now you take the space that you always had. But now you can make money on it. It's like Uber. I know this is hard to believe, but friends used to drive friends places. you call someone up. Go, John, bro, will you drive me? John's like, I'm there, bro. He's not Uber. He doesn't realize what he's missing out on. Because an Uber, "I, I used to, I had this extra space called passenger space. It's where friends used to hang. And you used to drive them for free, but now you can make money on it. So I said, it isn't that insightful to figure out that when you're married, you're actually, I'm just going to say, having sex. I mean, for some of you, it's going to be shocking, but that's where children come from. And, um, and you can devalue that. You can treat it as if it's not sacred and just see it as a commodity. It's always been, this is not a new career. It's the oldest career in the world. is what I tell them. I said, this has been an economic opportunity for centuries. <laughs> I said, by the way, you have a liver and a kidney and someone needs it. I mean, if you're just looking for a way to make some extra cash, and you can actually have a lot of children, and then you have a lot more kidneys and livers. Because if there's no value for being human, there's always a way to make an extra buck. See, sometimes we are just so smart that we're fools. And He says that he wants to pour out his manifold wisdom. You see, we're not supposed to be the platform to condemn and judge the world. But we are supposed to be like the river that runs through the polluted waters and stays clean. We are supposed to be a picture of what it looks like to be truly and beautifully human. And, and by the way, I remember 20 years ago when Mosaic first began her journey and, and we became one of the most diverse churches in the world. We had 50, 60 different nationalities coming. And our community has changed so much over the years. We used to be almost 80% Asian. I know it's hard for some of you to believe. But we change. Whenever we change locations, our ethnic numbers changed. And it's been so fascinating as I've been traveling through this journey together to see us grow in our Japanese population and then grow in our Chinese population and then grow in our Latino population and then grow in our, we started reaching white people in our Caucasian population and and, and then we moved to Hollywood, we became more white and black, more African-American and Caucasian. But we've always remained incredibly diverse. And and when people would come and visit Mosaic, they'd say, we've never seen anything this diverse. You see, it's normal to you. But it's so rare to people from all over the world. But whenever they saw what was going on here, they'd always say to me, well, that's because you're in L.A. Now, you have not been to L.A. then. We are the home of the L.A. riots. We are the home of the Watts riots. We are the home of extreme racism, prejudice, and hatred. And if you go visit the churches all over L.A., they are the most monolithic, monoethnic communities in the world. We are not diverse because we're in L.A. We are diverse because the manifold wisdom of God is pouring into us. And we're changing and becoming what God always had in mind. And, which, by the way, is one of the reasons I make sure this platform is incredibly apolitical. I know people want me to always take a position. But what I think is interesting is everyone always assumes I have their position. Why aren't you speaking out on this? And I go, well, if you really want to know this, is what I, how I see it. And they go, yeah, don't, don't speak out on it. <laughs> why aren't you telling us what to do? Because I don't even tell my children what to do. And I know not to tell my wife what to do. <laughs> so I'm out of candidates. But let me tell you why I do not. Because my dream has always been to create a place where socialists and libertarians can come together. Where Democrats and Republicans can be friends. Where we can learn how to have opposing views and still not oppose each other. And walk in respect and in honor and in love together. And and I, I never used being a Latino... And being an immigrant as an excuse for the limitations on my life. Because I I am convinced that the only limitations that actually in the end end up paralyzing us are the ones we accept for ourselves. And it's our responsibility to remove every barrier that does not allow people to have the freedom that God created them to have. And that's what the church does. That's why we're here, because the world is not doing well. In Ephesians, the Scriptures tell us this, beginning in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over, here it is, over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, Jesus has always had an intention to transform our hearts and to bring us together and to create a community that moves together, that elevates the human spirit and reminds all of humanity what it looks like to be human again what it would look like if all of us allowed faith and hope and love to transform us, if all of us decided to break free of our own selfishness and self-indulgence and choose a life where we serve one another in love and serve those who would never love us in return. That's what the church is supposed to be. And that's how Jesus permeates every space on this earth. What a bad strategy to choose us to be his body so that he could fill the earth with his presence and love wherever we went. He entrusted us with such a gift. From my little mind, it seems like such a limiting idea, and yet I think God knows best. And it reminds me that the art form that God always chooses to create his most beautiful work in the world is people. It seems to me that God has limited himself by choosing us. But maybe that's exactly how God works most powerfully. He takes us as inadequate as we are, as imperfect as we are, as broken and messed up as we are, as uninclined as we are to choose the us rather than the I or the me rather than the we. And he says, I'm going to perform a miracle. I'm not just going to connect you to myself. I'm going to connect you to each other. And when the world sees how you love each other, they're going to be drawn into this community. And they're going to realize that God is with you. And by the way, if if you still think Mosaic is perfect, we're so glad you're here. You're so new. We love your fresh perspective on things. But the longer you're here, the more you're going to realize there's just a lot of broken people here. A lot of imperfect people. That we're all just a mess. Trying to do something together that's more beautiful than ourselves. And you're going to have to learn how to forgive. I, I, I just want to assure you, somebody here is going to offend you. Probably me. <laughs> and someone's going to offend you by telling you the truth. A truth you would never hear if you were not in a community. Someone here is going to rub you the wrong way because they need to rub you the wrong way because it's the sandpaper that will finally get you refined to becoming the person you should be. And and, and there's all kinds of things that are going to happen here. There's a lot of you here who are single. You're going to date someone here for five minutes. And one of you is going to misunderstand those five minutes and think it was supposed to be for a lifetime. And then you're going to have to decide, do I just like awkwardly slip out the door? Or do I learn how to become an adult and reconcile and find friendship? It's hard to do this. It's hard to create community. It's hard to let bitterness go and choose forgiveness. It's, it's hard to look, overlook each other's weaknesses and see each other's strengths. It's hard to be for each other. But if you're not for people, you're never going to have people who are for you. And he says that this is how God works in human history, through the church. He calls us to hope, and this is supposed to be the center of who we are. He, he not only gives us an inheritance, but he makes us his inheritance. And, and then he places in us a power that goes beyond definition, limitation yesterday we're working backwards wasn't Ecuador, the world fell apart the United States was in ruin and, and then I, I started thinking to myself, I wonder if, if America will exist will I have a place to return and then my flight was cancelled and I thought, it is over and, and I, I had to send an email. Come to Ecuador and join me to my family, and and I had to actually go from Ecuador to Peru to get back to the United States, and so I flew from Peru to LA where my wife can pick me up. And when the moment she picked me up, we drove straight to San uh, to San Diego, so that I could be there to speak at an event in San Diego. And then the next morning, on Saturday morning, I had a meeting in San Diego. Then we drove all the way up to LA so I could take a shower to go out to Malibu to be a part of an event at someone's house where they were inviting a lot of their. Friends who don't believe in God. And they were asking me to come and, and, and talk with them. So I did, even though I was exhausted. Because all I had to do today was speak four times. And so it didn't really <laughs> feel that pressing. And I, and I drove out to, to Malibu, or actually Aaron drove me out there. And, and when we got there, it must have been the look in my eyes. Because the moment I walked in the door, the host said, Would you like to just go to a private room and be by yourself? I said, no, 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 I'm going I'm to do humans today. I'm, I'm going I'm to do it. And, and so I, I turned towards humanity and, and I started trying to engage people. And I was so tired. And, and then we had the time where I, I, I talked to them about what it means to be human and who we're created in the image of and who Jesus is. And, and, it was, and then we had a Q&A for quite a long time. And, but the, the questions people really have, they don't ask during the Q&A. They always hold until afterwards. And I wanted to leave so badly the moment I was done because I was just so tired. The people were amazing. I just wasn't amazing. And, and, and I needed to get out and go home and get some rest for today. But there's always that person. And so right when we're trying to slip out, I mean, we're trying to work our way around and Aaron had found me a path towards safety. <laughs> then I got stopped. These, these men, they, they caught me. They said, we have one question. Everyone does. Everyone has only one question. <laughs> but I walked up there and they introduced me to their friends and really, really kind people. So intelligent. Uh, really magnetic people. And, and one of them, the one who had the question, has never been to Mosaic, does not live in L.A. And in fact, he was invited by a friend who invited him. Was invited by a friend. That friend actually has come to Mosaic and then he invited his friend who then started coming. And then he called his friend in Chicago and said, you need to fly in from Chicago to be a part of this event. This guy's going to talk about God in a way that, that might be really helpful to you. So the man got on a plane from Chicago, flew to L.A. just to be there last night to have a conversation about God. So I thought, I can give him a few more minutes. <laughs> and then he said, it seems like what you're saying, if I, if I understand, he was trying to be very polite is that all the other religions in the world are wrong, and you're right. I said, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm wrong. Just like all the other religions, I'm wrong. Only Jesus is right. Because I'm not the one who's right. He's the one who's right. Said, okay, but aren't you saying that Christianity is the only religion that's right, and every other religion is wrong? He said, no, I'm saying Christianity is wrong too. Christianity is with all the other religions. Every religion is wrong. Only Jesus is right. He goes, okay, okay. I can go with that. And he looked at his friends and nodded in approval, and they're like nodding too. And, and this is this is worth a trip from Chicago. And and he goes, okay, well, but well, but, but what but what about the person who's a Buddhist or a Hindu who, who has never heard about Jesus? What about them? Are you saying that they're 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 not going to be with God? that God isn't with them? I said, no. What I'm saying is that whoever we are, wherever we are, God is passionate pursuing us all. And what I know is that God does not love you or me more than he loves the person in India or China. And so if he's made all this effort so that I could come to know his love, I know he's making the same exact effort for everyone else on the planet. He goes, okay, okay, I can go with that. He goes, but but how how do they come to know if if if, if they don't know about Jesus? And I said, It's a strange thing. Because God's bigger than us. So in fact, I have a friend who was Buddhist, and, and I talked to him about Jesus. And he went to his Buddhist teacher because he trusted his Buddhist teacher more than he trusted me. And, and he said, I've been talking to this guy, and he talked to me about Jesus. And, and then I talked to this other guy, and he talked to me about Jesus. And then I started driving, and I started seeing things about Jesus everywhere. And I, I feel like now I'm just sort of being inundated by all these signs about Jesus. And he said to his Buddhist teacher, what do I do with that? And his Buddhist teacher was so thoughtful. He said, the path toward enlightenment is very difficult. And very few ever attain it. But giving your life to Jesus is like cheating. Ah, Like Peter, who cheated. His flesh and blood have not revealed this to him, but his father was in heaven. He said, giving your life to Jesus is like cheating because the moment you give your life to Jesus, Jesus instantly brings you into enlightenment. He said, so it seems that Jesus is calling you to himself. This must be the path that's chosen for you. I think you should follow him. (laughs) Because Jesus isn't the God of Christians. He's the God of all of humanity. As I said when, I, when I've walked the streets of Damascus, when I went into Pakistan, when I was in the Middle East, I was amazed how every single Muslim I've ever met who's actually come to an encounter with Jesus has given me the same story. They never saw a Bible. They never met a Christian. They never had a church. In fact, if they tried to find one, they would be killed. And when I asked them, well, how did you come to know Jesus? They said, Jesus came to me in a dream. See, you're, you're so hungry, you're dreaming about pizza. <laughs> I know. You're dreaming about becoming a famous actor. You're dreaming about being able to afford that really nice car. But there are people in the Middle East who are so desperate to find God... They're dreaming about Jesus. And it's as if Jesus, in fact, from their descriptions, it's not as if it is so that Jesus came to them in a dream and he called them to follow him and they did. I explained to him as we were talking, see, this is who Jesus is. He goes, okay. I said, but that's not the question right now. He goes, what do you mean? He said, you keep asking about the Buddhist in India or in China, the Hindu in India, but you're the one here right now. You're the one who's just received this beautiful gift, this opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus, God himself who was crucified for you, buried and raised from the dead. And my question to you is, what are you going to do with Jesus right now? He goes, it's a good question. And I, and I said, have you ever been on an airplane, which sort of was a trick question because he flew in from Chicago. He goes, yeah, of course. And I said, you know that, that moment where the steward or stewardess says, "In case of loss of cabin pressure, mask will drop down from the ceiling. Place the mask over your head and secure it firmly. And then, if you have a child, place it over the head of your child." That's always really bothered me for multiple reasons. In case of loss of cabin pressure is code word for if we begin to crash. And if we begin to crash, they want me to put oxygen over my head so I can be conscious longer as we're careening toward Earth so that I can be aware of my impending death fully alive. I don't want to be conscious. I don't want the oxygen. I want to black out way up there. I'll let everyone else scream their guts out. No, I'm not doing it. You can have mine. I don't do dessert. With my last meal. But I remember the first time I ever heard those words, put the mask over your face first and then over the face of your child. Aaron was just a little boy and he was listening very carefully. And after the stewardess said that, he looked at me and he said, Dad... Airplanes are not safe places for children. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, they just told you to put the mask on you first and then on me. Because that's not right. That's not safe for children. He goes, dad, I want you to make a commitment that you put the mask on me first. <laughs> he didn't understand that what they were trying to teach me was take the oxygen that you need so that you can save the person needs the oxygen you have to give so I looked at this incredibly bright and intelligent guest who flew in from Chicago and I said right now you have the opportunity to put the oxygen mask on your face and to receive the oxygen that you need for life so that you can help someone else who needs that oxygen and they can breathe of life And so you need to take responsibility because if Jesus has come to you, if he has come to you before he has come to them, it's not because he loves you more, it's because he wants you to take the oxygen to them. So let me just close with this this one note. He says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. You hear what he's saying? See, this is Foundation Sunday, but we're not going to build from a position of weakness or fear or anxiety or distrust. Because what he's telling us is the same power, that same mighty strength that raised Jesus out of the grave is the power that God has placed in us. That same power, that same strength that lifted Jesus out of the tomb that broke the hold of death and raised him up and placed him at the seat in the heavenlies, that power is the power that he gives to the church. And we need to stop acting like we're in a deficit. We need to stop acting like we need governments to help us create the future that God calls us to create. No matter what happens around us. It didn't bother Jesus when there was a Roman Empire. And it shouldn't bother us whether they're Democrats or Republicans. We are more than that. And no matter what happens in the world around us, no one can stop us from doing the good that God calls us to do. I vote for us because Jesus said, and on this rock, I will build my church. And in case you don't know it, in case you don't know it, you are the church. So it's time to step up and be the people that Jesus died for. To raise up. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, we can do together what we can never do alone. Go to mosaic.org slash give and join us in taking this message and spreading it across the world. God bless. Thanks so much.